that you've extended to each one of us. You are worthy of all of our praise today. We lift up your name and we exalt you in Jesus' name. Amen. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. You may be seated today. So good to see all of you. Welcome this morning. Just a few quick reminders. Our youth will be meeting this evening here on campus out in the gym from 5 to 7 p.m. And so parents, make sure that your youth are here this evening, 5 o'clock. I know they're going to have a great time and looking forward to that. Also on campus this evening, our new members class will be going on from 5 to 7 o'clock. Pastor Josh and Sarah will be leading that, and it is not too late to sign up. If you are new to our church, or maybe you've been here for a while, and you want to find out some more information about church membership, feel free to sign up at the guest services desk. Again, they will be meeting at 5 o'clock from 5 to 7 this evening in the house of prayer between the youth building and the children's building. Someone will be directing you out there which building to go to, but it would be great if you you just want to sit in and ask questions, find out some more information, we encourage you to come and be a part of that. Again, you can sign up at the Greff Services desk today if you have not already done so. And our missions offering focus today is going to be for the elderly in our community, specifically for the residents of our nursing homes. We have five local nursing homes in the Hammond area with approximately 500 residents total. And we want to bless each of those residents with a little Easter gift bag. We do this twice a year at Christmas and then again at Easter. And so we are uh, we're going to provide 500 bags 
bag. So it's going to be two weeks of missions offering this week and next week so that we can uh, do that with excellence. I know that especially during this past year of COVID, the nursing home residents have really been affected. They have not been able to have visitors for an extended period of time and then just limited visitation. And we want to come along and just bring a little light into their lives and show the love of Jesus. We're going to have a little Billy Graham track in there telling them the true meaning of Easter and some things just to bless their lives. And so, ushers, you come forward and we're going to receive our first of our missions offering to help with the Easter gift bags for our nursing home residents. I know that it honors the Lord as we honor the generation that has come before us, as we honor the elderly in our community. Let's stand and bring our offering forward this morning. Good morning, everyone. Has anybody cut their grass yet? Twice. It's been a wonderful, wonderful week, hasn't it? Just the blessing of the Lord. And don't discount the spirituality of springtime. It's a wonderful, blessed time of the Lord. 
as the new is coming forth and the old is going away. And my prayer for you is that in your spiritual walk, in your walk with the Lord Jesus, that this also would be a springtime in your heart, that something new. Jesus said, Behold, I make all things new. And when Jesus encounters us, it's out with the old and in with the new. And so I'm praying for just seeds and buds, things inside of your heart and in your spirit will come, be, begin to blossom into maturity and fullness. Amen. God is so good to us. We're in the midst of a, or we've started out, launched out in a brand new series, a, a most vital series. And I am praying that God would use me and speak through me and speak into your heart to give you ears to hear, eyes to see, your heart to understand this vital, most vital message and principle in God's Word. Before we begin, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for these people that are gathered here today to hear your Word, Lord. Those who will hear online, Father, I bless them, Lord, and I do pray that you would not allow us, God, to go through this day and this moment and this time, Lord, in a futile way, Father. I pray, Lord, that you would, that the Word would hit its mark, God, and what you want to do in our lives would be accomplished today, Father. Do not allow even one person, Lord, just to drift through this time and miss what you would have for their life, Father. I thank you that you love us, that you're reaching out to us. And Father, we would not even have any inclination of who you are unless you first reveal yourself to us. And so, Father, thank you for reaching out to us. We love you. We pray it all in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. And so I kind of got an odd message, or title rather, blank, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I'm going to try this again. What is missing? Thank you. See, we're going somewhere. Amen. Star, gold star for you on your paper. Smiley face as well. Matthew 3, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of, of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus enters in. It's his time of ministry. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. I want to give you a little just review. Repent simply means to change your mind, to change your way of thinking. Listen very carefully. Repentance isn't first a change of behavior, it is a change of mind. When you change your mind, your behavior will follow. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. What you think is what you do. What you think is what you become. We looked at that tremendous passage in Acts 17 as Paul is presenting the gospel for the first time to the men of Athens. And he is talking about God being their creator, that in him we live and move and have our being. And so at some point, Paul says, God overlooked that time of ignorance when God was giving us a chance, 
creating parameters in our life, and we didn't know him, and we just lived in complete ignorance, but all of a sudden God begins to reveal himself to our hearts. And he said at that time, God, when we get revelation, God commands all men everywhere to repent. Is there anybody sitting in this room today that would not be included in that group? Is there anybody listening online? Is there anybody around the world who would not be included in that group? God commands all men everywhere to do what? To repent. And so I wanted you to understand that if, 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 if initially... Repentance is not a change of behavior, it's a change of our mindset and our way of thinking. What is the Holy Spirit saying through Paul's preaching here and our, our reading of God's Word? Repent, amen, repent, what does that mean? Well, initially it is not about repenting from our sinful behavior. I don't know what sin is until I know who God is. That's why there's so much argument about right and wrong. Well, I don't see it that way. I don't see anything wrong with that. And, and you know, that debate never ends. I can only know right and wrong and what sin is when I know who God is, know his heart, his ways, and what his desire is for my life. And so the repentance here is not initially a change of behavior. It is repenting from a worldview that ignores its creator. To repent of a lifestyle that goes about its daily activities, never giving much thought to his or her creator, the God who made us and is seeking to direct us every moment of every day. He is the God who can be known, and he wants us to know him and is very close to each one of us. This is where faith begins. This is where repentance begins. Repentance. It's a fundamental. It's foundational. We looked at that in Hebrews 6. Let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again. Let us go on instead and become mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God, do we? Sure we do. We are a generation and we are a church culture today who doesn't understand what repentance is. We don't preach it. We don't teach it. People don't want to hear it, to be honest with you. If you want a lot of friends, don't talk about repentance. If you want to have a large church, don't preach about repentance. If you want to have a successful tele television ministry, don't teach about repentance. If you want to sell a lot of books, don't write a book about repentance. It's not going to fly off the shelf. In fact, I, I challenge you to go into a bookstore somewhere and find out how many books there are on repentance. There's, there's thousands of self-help trying to make ourselves feel better about ourselves, motivational therapeutic books but I dare say you are probably not going to find one about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. 
I got so excited when I was thinking about this, and I remembered that I had purchased on my Kindle account a book called The Doctrine of Repentance. And I said, I said, I'm wrong. I was so encouraged, and I went and looked it up. I hadn't read it yet. I needed, there's a lot on my Kindle I need to read. But it was a book I found out to my disappointment because I thought it was a modern writer. It was written by Thomas Watson, a Puritan preacher in the year 1668. So I didn't prove myself wrong. There's not a lot of books out there in teaching seriously on the most fundamental, basic teaching from God's Word. Repent, it's where it starts, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why are so many people adverse to the thought of repentance or my sin? Because they don't understand what God is trying to do in their life. It is the goodness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. We'll look at the context of that later on in the series. It's God's goodness. It's not his anger. It's not his wrath. It's not his severity. It's God's goodness that leads us to repentance. And we need to be thanking him for that. Luke 12 says, Do not fear, little flock, for it is the Father's good pleasure to give you what? The kingdom. And God wants to give us the kingdom, and he understands in order to do that, I've got to change the way I think, the way I view him, the way I view heaven, the way I view his will and his ways in my life. Ezekiel 33 is so powerful. Say to them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Many of us know this scripture, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways and I will hear from heaven. I will forgive all their sins and I will heal their land. I want you to understand today that God turns, calls us to turn from our ways so that he can heal us, make us whole, change our earth condition, Bring the commodities of heaven into your life. Forgive all of your sins. Heal our land. How many of you know that God doesn't want to judge America? He wants to heal our land. But there's a requirement, there's a prerequisite, and that is turn. Repent from your ways. The Bible says in James 4 that when I allow myself to become a friend of the world, to choose its ways rather than God's ways, that I make myself an enemy of God. James 4, 4, look it up. When I choose, when I allow myself to become a friend of the world and choose its ways, I make myself an enemy of God. Does God make me his enemy? 
Does God make you his enemy? Does God make the most vile, wicked person on earth, on planet earth, his enemy? Does God initiate that? No. No, I make myself his enemy when I do it my way and the world's way. I set myself against God's love and his plan and his purpose for my life, his leading, his good leading me. I position myself against that leading of God in my life. Before I'm saved, before you're saved, the lost world, the lost condition of people out there, and maybe in this room today, I want you to understand what's happening and where you're at before you come to God, before you accept Jesus. With the Lord's authority, I say this, live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds, this is what I want to, I want to capitalize on and think about, their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives. They wander from the plan. They wander from the purpose because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against God, against Him. I want you to understand that my brain thinks sometimes, sometimes not. It's supposed to always think. It, it is, it, it is the, the seat of my intellect. When you hear the word heart in the word of God, I want you to understand, though this might mess a few songs up in some of our religious thinking, but my heart, this, this muscle that is, that is right now working, and, and my heart rate is up right now because I'm standing in front of you today, and it is pushing blood throughout my body. That muscle has nothing spiritual about it. It's just my physical heart. When the Bible talks about your heart, it is, it is the inner you. It is what makes you, you, and me, me. It is my intellect. It is my will. It is my emotional life. It is what defines who I am. And it all happens right up here. It doesn't happen here. Where is Jesus, baby? Jesus is in my heart. Nope. He missed salvation by 18 inches from here to here. I mean, that's, that's cool. That sounds good. But it really all happens here. Your spiritual life is tied to your brain. Your belly, Jesus said, out of your belly, that's your innermost being. Again, it's who you are. It defines who you are. There's nothing spiritual about my stomach. It all happens here in between my ears. Though it is natural and though it is supernatural, it all happens inside my mind. 2 Corinthians 4 
If the good news we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. They don't know the truth yet. Satan, who is the God of this world, Adam gave his authority, his delegated authority over to Satan, when rather than saying submitted to God's authority, he submitted to Satan's authority, and he lost it. He lost his authority. And so therefore the Bible calls Satan the God of this world. And even in Luke 4, as Jesus is in that temptation in the wilderness, Satan says, I can give the kingdoms of the world to who I wish. And I don't know that he was exaggerating that. He's been given authority, Satan has been given authority because Adam gave it to him. Satan, who is the God of this world, has what? He's blinded the minds of those who don't believe. First John says the whole world is under the sway or under the influence of the devil. How does he do that? He blinds the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They can't understand this message about the glory of Christ who is created in the image of God. In Acts 14, we see this, this situation where Paul is going from town to town, village to village, and he's preaching, and everywhere he goes, these Jews are coming, and they're trying to disrupt the message. They don't want anybody to hear this message, this message of truth that would make them free. They don't want to hear that. They don't want them to hear that. And so what did they do? Verse 2 says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and did what? They poisoned their minds against the brethren. What does Satan want to do in your life? He wants to poison your mind against anybody who's going to tell you the truth. Who's going to call you to repentance. Who's not going to pat you on the back and say, you're fine, you're good, it's all good. There's people that you ought to love. Young person, there's people that you ought to love. They're called mom and dad. There's people you ought to love. Your Christian brother in the Lord. There's people you ought to love. Your pastor who stands to represent God as just this, this dirty old cheap hose pipe that is taking God's word and using my mouth and the weakness of who I am and the weakness of this vessel and just communicating to you so that you can hear God's word. Those people in our life who are assigned by God to give you the truth, Satan wants to poison your mind and cause you to be offended and therefore disconnected so that you can hear what you need to hear. The warfare of Satan is a war of the mind. John 8, Jesus says he is a liar and the father of it. There's no truth in him. Every time you have an encounter with Satan, you have heard a lie. Every time you allow him to speak to you, he's going to tell you a lie. And the spiritual battle that we are waging war 
in America and around the world, the, the, the war that you are that's waging within your home, maybe with a wayward child or a spouse who seems to go, is going in the wrong direction, that war that we're waging against people who sit in churches and yet somehow, some way, they just don't get it, they don't understand, and they're in a bad place. That war is a war of the mind. We focus on behavior, but you're never going to eradicate wrong, bad behavior until you deal with the mind that created that behavior. It's a war of the mind. When I'm in war, Satan is trying to get my thinking off. Second Corinthians 10, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Throwing a fit, sitting people down and having reams of information thrown at them does nothing does nothing. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, anything you can do, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. What is an argument? There are thoughts in your mind that are contending with God's truth. What is an argument in your mind? It's an assault against the truth that God is speaking into your life or that has been spoken into your life. It's a contest going on inside of you. We're called to cast them down, bringing every thought, bringing every thought I don't want you to miss this. Bringing every thought, say it again, say it with me. Bringing every thought, say it again. Bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. If Jesus didn't say it, then I'm not going to believe it. If Jesus didn't say it, then I'm not going to entertain it. I'm going to pull it away, pull it down, and I'm going to throw it out. Sometimes, you know, you've got fear going on and anxiety going on. And I have to stop and say, now what changed? Why do I feel this way right now? Why am I feeling oppression? Why am I feeling doubt? Why am I feeling hopeless? And more often than not, I I can trace it back to something that was interjected into my life. Whether somebody said something and made my mind go somewhere or whether my own mind brought that into the forefront of my thought processes. And I have to take that and go, now this is, you see, there's a God way out of everything. This is how God wants me to deal with that. Have this communication. Change this behavior. Suffer through it. There's nothing you can do. But there's always something that I have to do to take these thoughts captive that are bringing me in my mind places they don't need to go. I'm telling you, the war is in the mind. What is a stronghold? There are many people, you call it this, that, something, something, something. The Bible calls it a stronghold. 
a stronghold I can't change. My behavior, I'm locked in. I'm being oppressed. I'm addicted, that's our word. I'm this, I'm that, I'm whatever. Let me tell you what a stronghold is. A stronghold is a house of lies that's been constructed inside of you that Satan has built one lie upon another, thoughts that should have been held captive, taken captive, thrown away, but we entertained them. And so Satan lays the green plate Come on, he starts building the wall, he starts putting the, and all of a sudden, we have this impenetrable fortress called a stronghold in my life, and I just can't shake it. And I'm telling you, the car, your carnal weapons are not going to remove it. They're going to be mighty in God pulling down. We'll get to that in a moment. When I'm in fear, my thinking is getting off. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. When I allow fear into my life, I lose my soundness of mind, and I'm not thinking right. When I cast out fear, because there is no fear in love, there is a restoration of the soundness of mind in my life. When I'm in sin, when I'm in rebellion, my thinking gets off. 2 Timothy 2, and a servant of the Lord must not quarrel. I'm not called to quarrel with anybody, but be gentle to all, able to teach patient. Why does he say that? Why would you ever have to quarrel with anybody? Because there's a contest between truth and error. And you think that somehow if I say my, my vantage point and give my perspective and my thoughts about something long enough, then somehow, some way, he's going to see it my way. But what you don't understand is this is spiritual warfare. It's not cerebral. It's not intellect to intellect. It's not words. The kingdom of God is not words, but in demonstration of power. And so you might want to engage in that child and you're quarreling back and forth and back and forth. Do I let them just go their way? No. In humility, correct them. Give them the truth. Those who are in opposition, if God, we're going to look at this phrase later as well, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they what? They may know the truth because they don't know it right now and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. What's really going on here? It's harsh. People don't want to hear it. It's really a spooky thought. It's a devastating thought. But in these situations, what we need to understand is that when these people have entertained thoughts, when your child, when your spouse have entertained thoughts, demons are influencing them. Demons are speaking lies into their life. And they've been taken captive rather than them taking captive. They've been taken captive to do Satan's will. What is his will? Division, to steal, kill, destroy, to mess up every good thing that God is trying to do in our lives.
come to their senses. What does that mean? It means to get sober again. To get sober again. Be not drunk with wine where is dissipation, but be ye what? Filled with the Holy Spirit. Kind of an odd way to present that. But everybody understands being under the influence of something that you don't need to be under the influence of. And you lose control of your faculties and your mind, and you just kind of, you're just at the, at, the, at the mercy of that alcohol running through your system. And so Paul says, don't be under the influence of anything but the Holy Spirit's influence in your life. Get sober again. You've been drunk with lies. You're staggering around. You've, you've lost your faculties. You can't walk a straight line anymore. You're under the influence. You're drunk with, wine, with lies. Get sober again. Communicate, pray. It's a spiritual battle. So they can be sober again. How do I, how is, how is behavior changed? How do I get back to where I need to be? It's not looking at your behavior and feeling shame over and going, you know what? I need to fix this. I need to fix this. I need to fix this about my life. I need to hear God speaking to my heart and changing my mind and hearing his perspective of my situation. And when I get that right and I make things right, all of a sudden there's an anointing that comes into my life and my behavior will follow when my mind is changed. Romans 12, 1, 2, you know these scriptures. And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you. Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable this is truly the way to worship him. Surrender your all to him. Submit fully to him. Verse 2, don't copy the behavior and the customs of the world. That's what you've been doing. You've been thinking like, acting like the world. You've been addressing your situation like the world would do that. You've been talking to your girlfriend, you've been talking to your friend, you've been talking, you've been online, you're, you're getting all this information, but all they're giving you is worldly wisdom. Don't copy that. Don't copy the ways of the world. Don't be conformed to the ways of the world. But let God transform you. Everybody say transform. How many of you know you need to be transformed? Come on. Not only at salvation, but throughout my entire life, that's what's called sanctification. I'm being transformed. How does God do it? Let God transform you into a new person by what? Changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. The prodigal son is in that horrendous, filthy, pig pen, Jewish boy feeding swine. There was no lower place he could get. He had wasted his money on 
prodigal or wasteful or riotous living, spending on alcohol, spending on girls and harlots, wasted all of his possessions, wasted his inheritance. But I want you to understand that this, this final destination of the pig pen didn't happen overnight. It happened way over here somewhere where he was out mending a fence. He was out running down that wayward animal that had broken through the fence. Yesterday, he had to get, gather the hay from the field. Took him all day. He's got blisters on his hand. He's tired. And all of a sudden, a thought is introduced into his mind that says, you don't need this. This is not for you. You don't have to do this. I know your dad's good to you, I know, but you know what? I'm tired of living under his rules and his ways. I don't need this. My dad's a good dad, but I don't want what he's got. I want to go exploring. I want to do it my way. I'm tired of doing it his way. So he finds the animal, he gets it back, he fixes the fence, he goes in and I said, Dad, I'm just ready to get out of here. That inheritance belongs to me. I want that inheritance. I wonder if, if his dad communicated gently and lovingly the truth to him there. I'm sure that he did. But that boy said, you know what? I've, I've, I've got this thought. I've entertained this thought. This is what I want to do. And so he leaves with half the inheritance. He's so excited. He's whistling as he's going down the road. He's so thrilled that he doesn't have to go and do what older brother's doing today. He finds the first town with a little life, little neon lights and bar room and girls flashing and whatever it is. And he just casts off restraint and he does whatever he wants to do. There's no restraint. Thought comes in, he does it. God loves us too much to let you stay that way. And God, the entire time, at the fence, with the dad, down the road, at the entrance of the ballroom, there's an internal GPS. Turn around. Turn around. This is not right. He's not listening to that voice. Satan's voice is loud. It's obnoxious. And it's pleasing and it's pleasurable. And so he listens to that voice. And all of a sudden, God starts stripping away and getting prepared in a space of repentance for his life. No man gave him anything. The money ran out. He, he, sees, a, he sees a little sign by the road that says, help wanted. He's so hungry. He goes and Gets that job, takes the job, pulls the sign out of the yard, gives it to the man. I want to feed. What do I need to feed these pigs over here? You only get pay, you, don't, you, you don't get paid till Friday. I want to see what kind of work ethics you have, and if you're going to do what I'm asking you to do. And so he's out there doing his job, and he can't wait for his paycheck because he's so hungry. But you know the story. No man gave him anything. He's there. He's waiting, and he's hit rock bottom. And he's about to, the, he pours a slop into the trough for the, for, for the pigs and the swine, and he's literally about to scoop out a, him a handful and eat it. But listen, 
something supernatural, powerful, heavenly happens. The Bible said all of a sudden, he came to himself. He came to himself. All of a sudden, with heaven's help, the GPS has been going off. But when you're not broken, you don't hear it. But he's broken, he's desperate, and he's quiet before the Lord. And finally, he hears, turn around. How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough in despair, and I perish here with hunger? He's changing his mind. Come on, he's changing his mind. Then it says, when you change your mind, you change your direction. He said, I will arise, and I will go back to daddy. Because I missed it. I did the wrong thing. What I'm trying to, for you, trying to get you to understand is, is your repentance, your life, your reception of the kingdom of heaven starts here in your mind. Can you see this with me, this naked, filthy, dirty hair? Wild man running in the tombs, running in the death, running in the place of the dead, hurting himself, cutting himself. How do you do that? No man could tame him. Every carnal weapon, every carnal rope, nothing. He broke them. Nothing's changing. Jesus gets out of the boat, and a divine appointment occurs, and the man runs over and falls down and begins to worship Jesus. Now, I don't know if there's different understanding about that and people's opinion about that and the demons came and bowed and I don't know sometimes I just really feel like there was just one little part in him one little part some residue somewhere inside of his life that didn't want what he had and didn't want to live the life he was living what is your name our name is legion for we're many cast the demons out into the swine, down the sea place, drown the sea. And we see this. Luke 8, 35, then they went out to see what happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed. I, to, I want you to understand, this man didn't get up one Monday morning and said, I'm going to run naked in the tombs today. I'm going to take stones up and I'm going to start cutting myself. This did not happen overnight. He didn't, there was no legion of demons that one morning after breakfast, just all of a sudden, boom, 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 filled his life. This happened way back here. Some suppression of the truth. Some God, I, I don't want that. Some hardening of the conscience, choice after choice, 
entertaining lies over and over again until Satan just found it easy to invade his life and still kill and destroy. But I want you to understand Jesus loves you and Jesus loves me and Jesus loves the most wicked, vile, far, as far removed from God as possible. He loves everybody on planet earth. And so Jesus gets out of the boat and the heaven sent him this, to this place. Demons are cast out. The kingdom of heaven has come. And this is what we see. Then we went out to see what had happened. Came to Jesus, found the man from whom the demons had departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in what? They were afraid, oh God, who can do such a thing? If I'm ever going to be, if you're ever going to pray for anybody who's not manifesting and walking out God's will for their life, how did the Gadarene demoniac change his mind? This is the main point of today's message. I must have an encounter with the presence of Jesus, the person of the Holy Spirit, the glory of God. I need to have an encounter with heaven. Mom can't change my mind. Pastor can't change my mind. My friend can't change my mind. I need the presence of Jesus to overshadow me and do something supernaturally inside of me and empower me to change my thinking so that I can make an informed decision so that my behavior can follow. Everybody under the sound of my voice, me, you, all of us, every day of our life, we are transformed, we grow into maturity, by taking thoughts captive, casting them out, meditating on what is good, true, and praiseworthy. Every one of you, all of us, the lost person out there, you know, it's kind of weird being a preacher, honestly. You know, you, 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 you get in this situation, these people don't know you, and you're talking a little bit, and all of a sudden, you say, I'm a preacher, and all of a sudden, whoop! It's really weird. You know why they're doing that? Because they don't know. You know why people don't want to entertain a conversation about God? Because they don't know. And your and your constant words, 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 words is not going to change them. They need an encounter with the presence of Jesus. To be in proximity to the glory of God in their life. That's when I see. That's when I come to myself. That's when I start thinking heaven's logic. That's when I make my decision to rise and go back and turn back. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Everybody say that together. I saw the Lord. Say it again. I saw the Lord.
sitting on a throne, high and lifted up. The train of his robe filled the temple above it, stood seraphim, angels, each one having six wings. Two he covered his face, two he covered his feet, two he flew. Can you imagine the scene that Isaiah is seeing here? One cried to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door were shaken by the voice of him who cried out. And the house was filled with smoke, <laughs> glory smoke. What happened to Isaiah? Isaiah's a good prophet. He's a good man. There's some good people in Israel. But their thoughts and what they're thinking in their hearts not right. Perhaps many, many of them said, Isaiah said, you know what, I'm, I'm a good prophet. I'm, a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm doing a good job. And God, and you know what, I don't see anything in my life. <laughs> you know how we do. I don't see anything in my life. But that wrong thinking inside of him, in his heart, in the innermost being started Jesus, out of, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so they were speaking, and they were conversing about God and the things of God, and they were off. Their thinking got off. And so Isaiah is in the presence of Jesus. The glory cloud has surrounded his life. He's being overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. And so I said, woe is me. For I'm undone. I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And this is the title of my message today. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Repentance begins when our eyes have seen the King. When we read through Job, it's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing story. Every time we read through it in that time of the year, i got to preach on it. It's, it's amazing. Heaven itself described Job as blameless and upright. And you know everything in a day just went south. He lost everything he had. He lost all of his family except his wife, and he should have lost her. Because all she could do was, this is her, his helpmate, curse God and die. Why do you hold to your integrity, Job? Boils break out on his body. He is, he is going through probably the worst trial that any of us have ever experienced, heard about, ever. And his friends come by. For the first seven days, nobody says a word. I don't know how that went down. Or how, what that felt or looked like. Because they saw the grief of Job was so great. They were doing good until after a week they opened their mouth. And everybody is trying to give a reason why for life. They're trying to explain this situation. And I want you to understand these men were not dummies. These men, when you hear their communication, they are very 
sharp. Their understanding of spiritual matters, it seemed like, whoa! They could debate with anybody in today's modern church. They go on. They say something. Job, this is why. Job said, I'm innocent. This is why, Job. Job maintains his integrity. Chapter after chapter, chapter after. It, it takes weeks, days to get through this as we're reading every day. Everybody's got something to say, but at some point in Job 38, then the Lord, he let him talk. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I'm going to question you, Job, and you're going to answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. And I'm telling you, the Lord goes off on this thing. Where were you when I created this? Where were you when I created the seas and said, thus far and no more? Where were you when, you, when I created this animal with all of its magnific magnificence? Where were you, Job? Can you do this? Can you do that? Oh, my goodness. goes on for two chapters. In 40, the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic. I don't agree with this. I don't understand this. Why, God? Why don't you do this? What, you know, if you were faithful like you say, this wouldn't be going on in my life. You are God's critic. Do you still, do you have the answers? And Job replied to the Lord, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I, I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. But the Lord says, no, no, we ain't getting out that easy. We're going to do some more of this. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind, brace yourself like a man because I have some more questions for you and you must answer them. I want you to engage in all your wealth of knowledge and wisdom and your thought life about me, and I'm going to question you, and you tell me if your thoughts are accurate or correct. He goes on for two more chapters until we get to Job 42, which is the punchline. And Job replied to the Lord, I, I know that you can do anything. Listen to me. And no one can stop you. He's repenting. His mind's been changed. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't say, now tell me why my kids had to die. Uh, you know, test me, you know, take my sheep. Take the cattle. Why kill my kids? Why do my kids have to die? I need to understand this, Lord. My thinking and where it's led me has caused me to question you. 
and doubt your faithfulness and your sovereignty. How could you say you love me and this happened in my life? He didn't say any of that. I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. You ask me, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. And I was thinking about, th- I was talking about things I knew nothing about. My ways aren't your ways. Your thoughts aren't my thoughts. I see it now. I was opening my mouth and saying words. I didn't even know what I was saying, Lord. My friends didn't either. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Well, here's my answer. I had only heard about you before. I'd only had religious conversations about you. I'd only sat in church and heard stories about you. I'd only read my Bible and heard about you. But now I have I've seen you. There's a difference between hearing about God and seeing God for who He is. My eyes have seen you, and I take back everything I said, and I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. The New King James says, Therefore I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. I can never see myself properly until I get a glimpse of who God is, at least to some degree. I can never know what sin is and see it in my life until I've been in the glory, until the Holy Spirit overshadows my heart. I don't want you to think about Shekinah glory clouds filling your bedroom or angels sitting next to you on your way to work. It's just those little shimmers and glimmers of light that happen to us all the time that you wouldn't think unless God spoke it to you. You're in this church today not because Satan wanted you here. You're here today because something happened to you into your mind, in your mind. It's a glimmer of light speaking, leading. When I respond to them, it's when I begin to see him. And when I see him, I see me. And when I see me, I always know I need to change something about me. This is where repentance starts. I'm going to give you one more example. I love this in Luke chapter 5, Peter, the life of Peter and his salvation experience. It's the first couple chapters in, in Luke. Peter is not saved yet, but he's seeking. 
The Lord is drawing him with gentle cords of love, and he hangs out around God's people. He hangs out around the revelation. He responds to the call, and he goes to church, if you will, in Jesus' preaching. And because the crowd was so great, they were pressing in to hear the word. God always responds. When you draw near to him, he draws near to you. And so glory is on its way. Jesus doesn't want to get crushed, so he sees some boats, and he's going to get in one of those boats, and he's going to press out, go move out a little from the land so he can use that as his pulpit so nobody can run over him as he's trying to, as they're pressing in. And the Bible said, and he chose Peter's boat, Simon's, his name was Simon at the time, and he got in that boat, and he went out, and he taught. In verse 4 of Luke 5, listen. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, listen. He didn't say to the crowd. He looked at Simon. He looked at you. He didn't look at a room full of people. He said something to you in your heart. Simon, launch out into the deep. He's a professional fisherman. And let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Lord, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. He, is, he has experience. He's walked this out before. His thinking right now knows there's no point. I'm wore out. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I'm just, I'm just done. I'm physically done. I'm emotionally done. I didn't caught any, catch anything. My thinking and my way say, go home. But this is the key to the kingdom right here. Nevertheless, at your word, contradicts reason, violates common sense, but you said it. I will launch out in the deep and let down my nets for a catch. And when they had done this, I don't know what he's thinking at this moment. He's going out. He's getting everything ready. I don't know what, he, he really doesn't have faith, I don't believe, in what Jesus is about to do. He's just trying to obey. He doesn't know what's going to happen. When they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. Hey, guys, come over here. Hurry, the net's breaking. You're not going to believe what just happened. The partners came. They helped him, filled up both the boats. They began to sink. God is a more than enough God. And when Peter saw it, you would have thought he would have started jumping up and down in that boat, flailing his arms and being so jubilant over what just happened. Listen, this is money. He's got two boatloads full of money. He is so thrilled. He can pay off that bill. He can pay that creditor. I can have food on the table, the food I want for days to come. Mm -mm. That's not what happened. In fact, it's very odd, to be honest with you. 
When Simon Peter saw it, what did he do? He fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Are you hearing me today? The way you come to yourself and see who you are is to is to be awakened because of the presence of God in your life. Well, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for something big to happen in my life. It doesn't happen that way. It's gentle cords of love. Before you even know God, and all of a sudden he's speaking things to you. He said, go to church at Eagle Heights Sunday morning. He told you Tuesday, you're a, you're, a, you're a student in a college somewhere, and you heard about and and all of a sudden you're tuned in, and you're watching the live stream or the archived message at that point. And God's saying something to you, and as you respond to that, God, as you draw near to Him, He draws near to you, and the presence will come, and all of a sudden you begin to see what you need to see about yourself. And when you see yourself in the light of God's glory, you're going to know you need to repent and change some things about how you view God, about how you viewed your behavior, and you change your mind, and your behavior follows. You know, I've been doing this for a long time, and I, you watch people leave church, leave church, leave church, go to church, 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 go to church, you know, Told you last week, looking at the, some of the statistics from denominations, people are leaving church at unprecedented levels. Why do you do that? Here's the short answer. Because your eyes have never seen the king. When your eyes see the king, there ain't no other option for you. The church ain't a mall. They shutting down all the malls because the kids don't want to go to them no more. I'm going to tell you, listen, the church ain't a mall. The church is a living organism called out, gathered ones together. Why do people do what they do? Jesus was feeding the multitude that day with two fish and five loaves, and everybody's, whoa, this, Jesus is incredible. Wow, amazing. I'm going to follow him. He's going to do me good. Good things are going to happen in my life. When I get a cold, he's going to heal me. So forth and so on. It's humanistic. I want you to know how I want to give you the kingdom. I want you to know how good I want to be to you. But understand, if this is to continue, you can't be a fair-weather believer. You can't be a lukewarm believer. You can't be a half-in person. You've got to eat my flesh. You've got to drink my blood. If you're going to have eternal life. And they said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I wasn't bargaining for all that. I just wanted you to fix me and fix my stuff and help me through life. I didn't want to submit my all to you. And so from that day forward, many of his disciples walked with him no more. I think we have that. 
And then Jesus said to the 12, everybody, I want you to understand what that must have felt like. We're all excited. We're building the kingdom. And Jesus says this thing, like, why did you say that, Jesus? Why can't you be a little more seeker-friendly? <laughs> Don't tell people they need to change. Don't tell people they need to totally surrender and lose their life. People don't want to hear that. See? The crowd left. He turns, he turns to the 12. He turns to Peter. And Jesus said to the 12, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter, listen. Simon answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life. Whether I understand, whether I'm in a confused state, whether it's sun shining or it's dark out, whether the storm's raging or the birds are singing, you've got the words. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. I've got revelation. My eyes have seen the King. And I'm as stumped as they are. And I can't, I can't understand what you said any more than they can. And my heart is torn out when all them people walked away. But I'm going to tell you what, I ain't going nowhere. My eyes have seen the king. I said I wasn't going to sing while I preach anymore. I, I, I get so hyped up, I set things too high. Then I got to squeak something out and... Y'all go, I can feel it. I said, Hannah, we need to delete that from last week. He said, don't delete that. People, die. the Lord loves my joyful noise. Amen. See, when you've seen the king, how many of you know even when you see the king, you're still going to get stuff in your life every now and then? Even when you try your best, you're going to make a mistake. And the enemy is going to come, and all of a sudden you go yield to fear, and something's going to happen somewhere down the road. I'm not trying to wish nothing bad on you. I'm just telling you what I know. But when that happens, when it happens to the person who's seen the king and who hasn't seen the king, it's a whole different thing. Listen to Peter. I won't deny you. I'm going to be good. I can do this. I'm going to follow you. You know the story. Jesus arrested, brings him into the courtyard, about to stand before Pilate, or the high priest, rather. Peter's following at a distance. He's trying his best. He's trying his carnal weapons the best he can to follow Jesus, but he's, but he's, he's disconnected. Some, some, he's cutting off people's ears. He's, just, he's, trying, he's trying to do the right thing. The Lord said, listen, but before the rooster crows twice, you're going to deny Three times that you even know me. Oh, in his, in his thinking, he's going, no, 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 no. He didn't argue, but he said, you know, Jesus is just a little delusional right now because he's got a big something that's going to happen in his life. He follows in that courtyard. Hey, I know you. You're one of them. I don't know him. No, I don't know him. That's not me. You're confused. Hey, your speech betrays you. That's, you, you belong to him. You belong to that little entourage. You, you, nope. Little servant girl. Mister, you, I saw you with Jesus when he was teaching. 
curse, blankety blank. No, I'm telling you, I don't know him. Cock a doodle doo. Verse 61. Stand to your feet. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter looked at him. And he remembered the word. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Go ahead. We don't have it. My fault, I'm sure. I know what it says. And he went out and he wept. He repented. He was all full of excuses and justification before he saw the Lord and the Lord saw him. But when you see the when your eyes see the king, you start seeing yourself, you start seeing your sin, and you start seeing your need to repent. Can I get a witness in the house? And I want to tell you, listen to me, I made the same mistake in my own life. I want the team to come up. I always want, wanted something grand and, you know, just something amazing, some grandiose situation to know that God was with me, that God was confirming His Word in my life. And I've learned, listen to me, if God does that for you, praise God, but He won't do it many times. He'll do it through His glory. And we are changed from what? Glory to glory. There's that two thing that we just walk and live and do and go to our jobs and, you know, take care of our kids and manage our marriage and love God and obey Him. And I don't feel much of anything. And that's okay. Then all of a sudden, if God wants to elevate my understanding and mature me in some way, He'll just reveal Himself in a special little way, some little word, something in my life. Something, it could be a sign or a wonder. It could be anything. But in that glory, and I see something, and I see myself, I go, yes, I agree. I agree, which means confess, to say the same thing about, I see what you see about me. I saw myself in the Word. I'm not going to be forgetful here. I'm not going to forget what I look like in that mirror. But I'm going to say, I see what you see. And I can't change me. So I just want to change my thoughts about things. And I know you love me and you're going to strengthen me and help me. Elijah had been dishonored, disrespected by Jezebel. He tells his servant, leave me alone. Runs out on the tree. Lord, just take me home. I can't live this life no more. The Lord gives him a little sustenance and he runs to the mountain of God because that's where where I'm going to see God. You know, he goes in the cave and his thinking's all off. And he said, I'm the only one left. I'm the only one left, Lord. Everybody's bowed the knee and the, the whole world's gone crazy. It's just me. And I just don't know what to do with myself. I said, he's just his mind. Let me stop right there. Maybe the situation's different. Maybe your words are different. But how many have ever been there? Raise your hand in honesty. We've all been there. 
And all of a sudden, he's in that cave. Bam! An earthquake! Shakes him. I want to feel something. But God was not in the earthquake. Bam! A great wind tore into the mountain. Whoa, God's here. But God wasn't in the great wind. Then a fire. Send the fire. Send the fire. But God wasn't in the fire. Listen. And then a still, small voice. Elijah, what are you doing here? You don't belong here right now. You should be over there. You've let your thought processes get off. People of God, listen to me. Or if you don't know the Lord at all, listen to me. You've got to listen to that voice that's trying to lead you. You're trying to pay attention to the chaos and you're not going to hear His voice there. You're trying to see some grandiose thing or feel it. It doesn't work that way. It's those gentle nudgings from day to day. In those special times of glory when God is saying, and what you do then, and your inner self wants to go, you know what, I'm going back home. I tore, there ain't nothing there. You say, nevertheless, you talking to me, and I'm going to respond to you. And when you do, the kingdom of heaven is going to come. What's he saying right now? Just take a little evaluation of your life. What's he saying about that troubled situation? The chaotic places in your life, what's he saying? What do you need to do? What's he saying right now? People say, I don't know if I ever hear from God. Listen, he's talking to you all the time. You're just entertaining so much junk that that small voice can't get through. Get still. Know that He's God. Listen to your GPS. You've been blowing through the warning signs. Listen. There is a spiritual GPS. God's protection system it's your conscience everybody's got a conscience even before you know God you know the conscience is the Holy Spirit working around your life no natural man has any inclination inclinations to do right it's the Holy Spirit don't violate it. What do you need to change today?
What do you need to respond to? It's not always what we would call evil, bad behavior. You're in fear. You're letting fear take hold of your life. You've lost the soundness of mind. I guarantee there's many in the room like that today. We need to start listening. We need to start taking captive the lives of the enemy in our life. Stop entertaining his garbage. Stop entertaining. Listen, when you see and understand how much God loves you. I was walking out yesterday. It was like I was in heaven yesterday. My Cleveland, my Cleveland pears, my Bradford pears were springing, come on, white flowers all over. The grass had been cut. The grass was green. I'm driving the kids in the golf cart around the property. As we're listening, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. And Ella Kate's doing her hand motions, and Elisa's singing. I almost want to just say, I just want to come up here this morning and say, all right, if you're lost, get saved right now. God's so good. And if you're messing up in some way, hey, just get it right right now. God is so good. There's a problem with that, and that's that brain and the spiritual battle that must ensue to break you free from wrong thinking. Oh, God. Oh, God. I just, I just feel like just as I am. If you're in the building today and you need to respond to something, whatever it might be in, in your insides, and come in agreement with God's Word, not lies of the enemy. I want you to come. You conquered the grave. You crossed the